sincere. <laughs> All right, take your Bibles, the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter number three tonight. Find that place, if you will. Ecclesiastes, chapter number three. Find that place. Solomon is giving us his view of life without God. What is life like without God? And of course, the conclusion to the first two chapters are life without God is vanity, a waste of time, and there's no purpose to anything under the sun. Now, uh, Solomon is going to do something here. He's laid out his case in the first two chapters. And he is now going to go back over that and, and dissect it some more. And, and lay some things out for us. And what we're going to see and, and, and learn is that there are times and there are seasons for everything. Now, we don't like certain times and we don't like certain seasons. And we're not talking about the weather or the time of day. We're talking about points in life and things in life. Everybody likes the happy times, but nobody wants the sorrows. No, everybody wants the good times, but nobody wants the down times. Every, but there are times and seasons, and they are all very important to be to our lives and and we have to understand that it's difficult when we're going through a difficult time to appreciate that but these these seasons do help us and uh, what we learn through the times and season is the dependability of God and if it were not for God everything would be chaotic that's why evolution is such a, an absolute joke because, again, there would be nothing but chaos. But life is not chaotic. Life has order, and there is order to things, which proves there's something behind it which keeps things in order. Even when things become chaotic, uh, they eventually become order again. Now, there are times and seasons in this world, but there is a God who, who rules in all of it. From, the, from our birth to the time that we die, God is involved in our lives. And, and, and God is accomplishing, really, his divine purpose in all things. Now, I'm not preaching Calvinism here, but I want you to know that God is involved, especially when you're a child of God. And by the way, I think lost people, God is in the business of trying to present them with the gospel, and he does things to give them the gospel throughout their lives. He brings somebody along the way, a commercial, a TV, a gospel track, a Bible's place in front of God, is doing things to, to get a lost man or woman to understand who he is. When we look at chapter 3 and verses 1 through 8 of this chapter, uh, in these statements, Solomon is affirming that God is at work in individual lives. Now, there are several views we can take on chapter number three, and, and one of those views is the idea of fatalism. Uh, you know, he says in verse number one, there's a time and a purpose unto heaven, a time to be born, a time to die. And as we go through these things, it, you can have the philosophy of fatalism. And I don't think Solomon is preaching fatalism. Uh, I think just the opposite. Fatalism is the idea of, you know, whatever, it's going to happen. You know, que sera, sera, whatever it will be, will be. It's just, it's, it's, it's going to happen, and, and, and it is what it is. And that's not what Solomon is teaching here. Uh, if we learn to 
cooperate with, with God uh, and God's timing, life will not be meaningless. And we have to learn to cooperate with God, even when life is not doing what we wanted to do at that moment. Let me cooperate and get with the program and, and let God do what God has to do because God is God. And as an all-wise being, he knows what he's doing. I don't have a clue. I'll I tell you where I live. I, I get up in the morning on Sundays, and, I'm, and, I, and I, I walk into the closet, and I say, Now, Lord, which, which suit am I going to wear today? Then I walk back into the other closet, and I say, Now, Lord, which tie should I wear today? Because I don't know which tie to pick out. It's, it's early in the morning. My brain's still not working yet. Even by noon, it's still not fully there yet. But it's, it's, I, I'm... Lord, what, what, what do you want me to wear? And, uh, and so Josh and I must have been praying today. We all, we, we dressed alike, amen? As I said, he, he did it good, and I'm still trying to, I look like an old wrinkled uh, homeless guy here. But understand that God, and with him moving, life is not meaningless. And he says in verse number 11, he says, He hath made everything beautiful, What's the last three words? In his time. In his time. Everything is beautiful in his time. Even the most difficult experiences in life. Those of us who are older, those of us who have, have some highway behind us. And even you don't have to have a whole lot of highway behind you, by the way. I remember when I was a kid, mom was talking about going down memory lane I'm like, what's memory lane, Mom? She goes, you're too young. You don't have a memory lane yet. Well, now that I'm older, I, I, there's a memory lane back there, and every now and then I go walking down it and remember different things about memory lane. And I'm always thankful for the present, by the way, but I'm thankful for the memories and for the past and, and what it's done to make me the man I am today. They're all important. Every heartache, every tragedy, every sorrow, every tear, every broken heart, everything in my life, as I look back, I, I realize that God eventually turned it and made it beautiful. But it's, it's necessary in my life, and it's necessary in your life. Now, most of the statements that we read in this chapter are, are easy to understand. But I want us to take some time, and of course... If you're like me, if you're corrupted with an old rock and roll background, you read this verse, a, a, a stupid song may play in your head. And I want you to understand that that, that song, and Joe's back there cracking up and John's pretending I has no idea what I'm talking about, but <laughs> uh, that song, again, is a, is a, a worldly song and it, it has nothing to do with, it, they're on one page and God's on another page. Now, he says there's a time to be born, verse 2, and a time... To, to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up that which is planted. And, and, and everything in life, there's, there's birth and there's death. We like birth, we don't like death. And in life there are things like abortion, there's birth control, there's mercy killings, there's surrogate parenthood, and, and, it, and, and those things man seems like he is in control of everything. But Solomon says otherwise, and Solomon is letting him know that, that God is involved in these things. There's a time to be born and a time to die. Now, birth and death are not human accidents. And, and this is where it gets complex, and I don't have all the answers to everything, but there are divine appointments 
Because again, we read in Scripture, God does control all things. Uh, we're in Genesis in Sunday school. And if you paid attention that Sarah, Rebecca, and we haven't got to where Rachel have something in common, what is it? They couldn't conceive until who showed up and did something? God. And I don't have all the answers, but I want you to know God is in control of that. God moves in that. Now, God had a purpose in why that delay was there. And God was teaching those ladies something very important in their life. And there are many women on planet Earth who desired to have children but never had them. And then there are other people on planet Earth like that person does not deserve to have any children, yet they have uh, 3,000 of them. And you wonder, well, what's that all about? I don't believe children are an accident. We have this, well, that's an unwanted pregnancy. Well, it was unwanted by you, but it was not unwanted by Almighty God. That's a life. God's involved in that life. God sees that life. And that life can become something great for Almighty God, an instrument in His hand, even if it's simply just somebody who sits in church and sings out loud and, and loves Jesus. They're still very precious to Almighty God. So again, birth and death are not accidents. Now, we may cause our death prematurely. I think people have checked out prematurely. They were, they've done a lot of foolish things. And God did not ordain their foolishness, which caused them to check out early. In high school, I had a friend who was killed in a car accident. They're all drunk, and they were all driving, and he got killed. Did God make them drink and get drunk? No, they... That was at their own hands, very tragically. Uh, right after we graduated, a young man I went to school with, a friend of mine, wasn't a good friend, but he was a friend. We talked, we had a good time, but they were partying. And he was at Stortz, when Stortz was down there at the hot dog place, and he ran across the street in a drunken state one Friday night and, and got popped by a car. And he laid in a coma for a week or two before he passed away. 18 years old, just graduated high school, and, and life is... Did God do that? No. He made decisions to, that, that ended his life. But then a man goes through his life, you get up in the morning, you're going through your routine, and you get in your car, you drive down the road, and next thing you know, there's an accident, and you're in eternity. Was that, did you do anything? No, that's, there's just a time. There's a time for things, but God says it's time to come home. We don't like those things, but they are part of life, and God is involved in those things. And we as Christians look at them and say, why? Why'd that happen? You know, why didn't God take this person? Why didn't God take this evil, despicable human being who's murdering millions in his country? Why don't God take them? Why are they hanging around? God is in control of that, and they, everybody does check out eventually. But God states that he, he put us together in the womb. God made us in the womb. God, God told Jeremiah, before uh, you were born, I ordained you to be a preacher. I knew you were coming, and I, I said, Jeremiah is going to be my prophet, and, and, and I put you together in the womb. I made you, Jeremiah. And so God prepares things. And we, again, we, we may foolishly hasten our death, but we cannot prevent it when the time does come unless God wills it. And there's only one case in the Bible where one man was told, you're going to die, get your house in order. And the 
prophet Isaiah told King Hezekiah, you're going to die. And Hezekiah wept and cried and begged God. And God gave him 15 more years, which really was a mistake, by the way, because in those 15 years, King Hezekiah gave, and his wife gave birth to their son Manasseh, who turned out to be the bloodiest and worst king in the history of Israel. If he had died, follow this now, if he had died when God said it's time to go, that nation would have been spared 55 years of absolutely brutal, bloody kingdom. I think God put that story in the Bible to show us, just trust me on this issue. I, I know when it's time to go. And yet we beg and plead for, uh, but for people to die. I mean, my brother was dying. I remember I just go to his house one night and spend the night with him. We were sleeping basically in the same bed. He was dying. He had brain cancer. And I remember laying there next to my brother watching him die. And I said, now, Lord, if you're not going to heal him, I'd like to just take him home. No sense in him hanging around here. Just, just take him, Lord. And in a few weeks' time, the Lord took my brother home. But I didn't want him in that condition. So you need to pray for God to heal him. I, I did pray. But, you know, there comes a time when you, you live in realization and, you, you know, this is, this is really bad and, and maybe it's time to go. And we don't like these things, but the Bible says that, look at Psalm 139 in your Bible. Psalm 139, just back up, keep your finger here. And I'm not, trying to, I'm not hunkering down and going to spend 20 minutes on each of these here, but I do want us to see a few things. And Solomon is going somewhere with all these things. In Psalm 139... He says in verse number 16, Psalm 139, verse 16, Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. That's an amazing verse. That gives you into a little insight. God talks about seeing us and knowing about us, and how he, all my members are written in my book. God designed me. God made me. The vast majority, and, and I would say 99% of humanity is unhappy with themselves and wishes something were different. Those who have straight hair want curly hair. Those who have curly hair want straight hair. Those who are tall wish they were shorter, and those who are shorter wish they were taller. And on and on the list goes of all the things we wish were different about us. But my friend, when it all comes down to it, it says, All my members were written, which in my continuous were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. And by the way, those of you with straight hair, God intervened and God invented hair curlers. Amen? And God knew what he <laughs> was doing with those crazy things. Now... Uh, you have been fashioned. You have been made. You're created by God. And that's why it's foolish to put yourself down. It's also foolish to put somebody else down for the way they are. Because the God that made you was the same God who made them. And that's how it is, my friend. And everything is beautiful and it's time, the scripture says. Now we go back to where we are in, in, in Ecclesiastes. Again, there's a time to born, a time to plant, a time to plant, and a time to pluck that which is planted. That's simple. Being an agricultural people, the Jews appreciated the season. And, 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 and many people plow and sow, but only God can give the increase for the farms. 
You can do all the work and plant everything, but you're dependent upon God for sunshine and rain and to prevent the locusts and everything else that goes on with all of it. You need God in that. He talks about plucking, which may refer to the reaping or the pulling up an unproductive plant. And a successful farmer knows how nature works for him only if he works with nature. This is also the secret of a successful life. Learn God's principles and cooperate with them. Don't fight God. Life will go a whole lot better if we just go with God and walk the way he tells us to walk. And, and life will go a lot smoother even when we go through our difficult times. He talks in verse number 3, there's a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build up. Now, killing, what do you mean killing? It's the idea of executing justice. When a person deliberately commits murder, there is a time for that person to be executed. In the book of Genesis, chapter number 10, God laid out the law. He says, Whosoever sheddeth man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. In other words, God ordained that the murderer should be put to death for his crimes. We jump into the New Testament. And Jesus Christ is there and he's being arrested. And Peter, in a vicious and violent attempt, takes out his sword and hacks off a man's ear. Attempted murder, really what it came down to. There was an attempted murder on the part of Peter where he hacked off the servant's ear. And Jesus healed the man's ear. And a good thing he did because Peter would have been arrested that night and probably executed. And the Lord looked at Peter and he said, Now, Peter, you need to understand something. If you're going to live by that sword, you're going to perish by the sword. In other words, Peter, if you kill people and go around hacking at people, the sword of the government's going to come against you and they're going to take you out. Don't do those things. Don't do those things. Today, we don't execute anybody and they release these people, go back into the wild and they kill again, which is frustrating, is it not? But there's the, there's the time for those people to die and there's a time to heal. And again, God wants us to understand these things. Time when we do die and a time for us to get better. He talks about casting away stones and gathering stones in verse number 5. Last week we were coming back from the ladies' conference, and I notice this all the time, that you go out into the country, you'll see a, a stone wall. And what they are, they're, they're called field stones. The farmer, when he plowed his field, hit a, a rock, picked it up, and threw it, off the, threw it in his wagon or tossed it off the side. And, and then he has this pile of stones on the side. And so what he does is he either uses them to build a wall for borderline for his property or build a cage for his animals or... Like this building itself is built with what we call a field stone foundation. Rocks that were dug out of the ground and piled on top of each other. And then we put a structure on top of it. This place has been standing on a field stone foundation for 150 years. There's a time to gather stones and a time to get rid of stones. There's a, simple things like that. They all have purpose. We don't understand. I had to dig a hole in a basement one time for somebody. And it's the strangest. There must have been something there before the house was built because I spent... All day, this is when I had before my hip needed to be replaced, and, and I was dying, digging in this basement, trying to because I had to get down to the sewer line, just pulling out these strange, odd stones that somebody had buried there years ago, and I just pulled out a pile of rocks, and I said, "I'd never seen anything like this in a basement in my life." You should use something you find outside, but not in the basement. Brother Carlos can identify with me. It's like, what is? 
I should have took a picture because again, it's like, what are these stones? They don't belong here. But there I am pulling them out of the ground. <laughs> There's a time to all these things. In Palestine, it was a rocky land, and farmers must clear the fields before they can plant. There's a time to get rid of the stones because they're preventing the crops from growing. And if you want to hurt an enemy, what do you do to your enemy? You fill his fields with stones. We see this in 2 Kings chapter 3, and verses 19 and 25. <laughs> Seems like an awful lot of work, by the way, to, <laughs> to, to, to affect your enemy fill his fields with stones, but that's what you would do. So again, people gathered stones for purposes, and stones are, are neither good nor bad. It's a stone. Depends what you do with it. And if your enemy fills your land with rocks, don't throw them at them. Use those rocks to build something with. That'd be a good thing to do. He says in verse number 5, again, uh, well, there's a time, verse 4, the time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance. Again, we don't like the bad things. Nobody wants to weep and nobody wants to mourn. But you really can't appreciate laughter and dancing until you've been there weeping and mourning. You can't appreciate being happy in life until you've been unhappy in life. Somebody said years ago that you can't be a good preacher until you've had a broken heart. A lot of sense in that. A lot of and I remember reading that as a young man. I said, well, I've had a broken heart. You know, uh, Christine wouldn't go out with me in high school. That hurt. And, uh, and, and, and she, but she's sorry now. And, uh, but the, and, and Renee has been blessed. Amen? Amen. Now. <laughs> but that really wasn't a broken heart just because some girl turns you down. That's just part of life. Amen? <laughs> Which she know. Amen? Right? Ethan, like I told Ethan one time, I said, this girl broke up with me. And I, she said, now listen, Matt, it's, it's, it's not you, it's me. I said, you got that straight, woman. Let's, let's get that settled right there. Now, <laughs> don't think so, Brianna? <laughs> no comment. <laughs> so understand something. There's a t we, the time for laughing and a time for rejoicing and a time for dancing are appreciated because we've been there where we've been in the valley and had that, that time. There's a time for, to, 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 for getting and losing. Verse 6, a time to get, a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away. The, the Bible, again, there's a... I am not a garage sale person. I, I, I really... There's got to be something really good out there for order me to pull over. We'll be going down the road, and Renee goes, oh, look, a garage sale. They got toys out there. That's where I... And it's just, oh, look, somebody else's plastic and junk. I want you to understand something. Now, think about this. There was a day when somebody went somewhere, saw something in a store or online. I, had, I have to have that. I have to gather that. And then they gathered it. And it gathered dust, and now it's time to get rid of this. And they put it on a table out front for the vultures to come by at the garage sale. I'm not against yard sales, by the way. If you want to sell your stuff, that's well and good. Just don't tell us about it. And because uh, it's bringing this stuff home, that I'm trying to get rid of stuff. 
There's a time for getting, and there's a time for losing stuff, getting rid of it. I don't know how many houses I've been in my life where I have seen very, very expensive clothes racks. Anybody want to guess what's the most expensive clothes rack a human being can ever purchase? It's called a treadmill. <laughs> and I've been in basements where the treadmill is there and it's piled with boxes and then there's clothes hanging on the handlebars. But somebody bought that. I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to put this in my house and I'm going to work out. And, and it's enough of that. And then, and then it's wheeled out front. Time to get rid of this thing. I'm not saying it's wrong or right. I'm just simply saying that this is what God says. There's a time for getting and, 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 and a time to, 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 to get rid of things. There's a time to get and a time to lose. A time to, to keep and a time to cast. Do you want this? No. Throw it out. No, I want that. Let's keep that. Now, I'm a very sentimental person. My wife, you want? No, I, I, I want to keep that. Why? It has memories. And, and well, what memories? Well, you know, this is what something related to it. And we have, we've saved things that belong to our kids. There's a blanket that we've kept that belonged to Maddie. Maddie had his blankie. Okay, next time you see Maddie, he's a 35-year-old man or whatever he is now, and he, he had a blankie. And so he walked around that blankie. There's a time where he said, okay, son, you're time to get rid of the blankie. You're a big boy now, and you're going to college. Let's get rid of the blankie. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> time to get rid of the blankie. You're growing up. The blankie has to go. And we took that blankie, and it's in Renee's hope chest. Put away. There's other things that, we, that are in that hope chest that there's memories attached to them that belong to the kids. And, and when we pass on, they'll go in there, and they'll say, it's time to do what? Cast away. <laughs> Sarah's not very sentimental, is she? <laughs> not at all. You and Renee are a perfect pair. Now, there's a time I have Bibles that, that belong to people that have passed on. I, I, I cherish that I have their Bibles, brothers and sisters. and My sisters are still here, but my brothers and um, uh, other relatives, my mom and dad's Bibles and, and other people's Bible, my pastor's Bible. I told my... My uh, pastor's daughters, I said, listen, when you go through a thing, can I have one of the pastor's Bibles? I would like to have one of them. I know he has plenty of them, but you go through, pick out whichever one, but if it's possible, I would like to have one of them. And they, when they went through all his possessions and got rid of a bunch of stuff, they gave me, told me to come down and go through any of the books I wanted, and they eventually gave me one of his Bibles. That means something to me. When I pass on, somebody will take that Bible and toss it. don't mean anything. Time, this is life. This is life. There's getting and losing. In verse number 7, he talks about tearing and mending, a time to rend and a time to sow. You know, and the Jewish people, what did they do? During their time of repentance, what did they do? They tore their clothes. But there's a time when you take your clothes and you put them back together again. That period is over with. Nobody lives in a perpetual state of repentance. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm, so, I'm just no good loser. And I'm, please forgive me. You, I, I, I repented. I, David didn't stay repented in the ground he his son perished he got up he washed his face he ate and he went and he got busy with life it's what you do and so he's all these things god expects us there's a time for everything god expects us to sorrow god wants us to sorrow he, he designed us with the ability to sorrow but he told us that we're not to act like unbelievers that our sorrow is different it, it, it acts differently 
And there's a times of time when we break out the needle and the thread and we sew that which has been torn. And we get busy with life. God gave Israel time. All right, you stop. 40 days, you got to mourn. Do your mourning. It's, I understand. All right. Time's up, guys. Back to life. Let's get back, with, let's get back in the business of living and doing what you got to do. We don't think we can ever live again when we go through a terrible time. But life does move forward. You know, why is the sun still shining? Well, it's because it's going it's to do that. It's just life. He talks about loving and hating in verse number 8. A time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. Are God's people allowed to hate? The fact that the phrase uh, mentions war and peace suggests that Solomon may have had a nation primarily in mind. And However, there are some things that a Christian ought to hate. There's some things we ought not to like and have a divine hatred for things. We ought to hate sin and, and, and everything that's an abomination to God. We don't know. I, I hate that and, and not put up with it. And in life, everything blended together works out properly. There are certain things that you may take that would kill you, but blended with something else, it's, it has a healing effect. I'm not a doctor. I don't play one on TV or anything, but, you know, you get a vaccine put in you. What you get with that vaccine is you get, you get a piece of the disease put in you. And, what that, and then along with other things, it gives your body some immunity to help when the, the disease comes along at you. But if they're just to pump polio in you, and you're dying. But then with the vaccine and a little bit of polio and this and we talked about penicillin this morning, which is mold. You just can't eat mold. Bad. <laughs> but done in the right way, that mold has a healing effect that prevents illnesses and cures things that are wrong with you. And so again, hatred and a, and a healthy hatred for bad things along with a uh, love, it works together. It, 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 it's, it's a good thing. So in all of these things that Solomon mentions, he's letting us know that God is, is in control. And God has a time and a purpose for everything. Now again, this is not fatalism, nor does, nor does it rob us of freedom or responsibility. Hey, you know, whatever, I'm just here inside the car and and, and, and whatever is going to happen is going to happen. We've all been to amusement parks. We've got on the rides, and, we, and you've had no control over it. The only control you have is when you're a kid, you're on that one little helicopter ride where you pull the thing down, and the helicopter goes down, and then you pull it back, and the helicopter goes up. But it goes in the circle, by the way. You're not flying around the amusement park. You're going in a circle. And, ding, 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 and, and that's all you've got control of. You're just going around at the same speed. That's not life, per se. We do have some control in this, but we realize that God is watching over things and God wants to control things for us. It is the wise providence of a loving Father who does all things well and promises to make everything work for good. And sometimes it's hard to look at things and say, how is this going to work for good? How, how is there anything good going to come out of this? 
Well, that's where you can't see, but God does. Now, we have Christian here. He's an artist. He knows how colors work. And uh, my two favorite artists on planet Earth are either uh, Vincent van Gogh or, or, or Norman Rockwell. Night and day. <laughs> Night and day. In their, one is psychotic and weird, and, but you're like, wow. <laughs> and then there's Norman Rockwell with his Americana uh, pictures. And you just, you just, it's, you know, I, just, I love Norman Rockwell. It's my goal one of these days. My wife and I will go up to Vermont and visit his uh, museum up there and see that, that whole thing or New Hampshire, wherever he's at. And, and visit that. But I love Norman Rockwell. But, you know, in every painting that you look at, we all appreciate the colors, but you can't appreciate the colors unless there's what? The darkness, the grays, and the blacks, the shades. I remember from art as a kid that black and white are not colors. Those are shades. Am I correct, Chris? There you are. See, I remember something in art class. And, uh, and so those are shades. You have to have the shades to do that. Our little granddaughter Elsa had a, entered a pencil sketch and she entered into a, a competition in town. She won first place from the, uh, her age category, a lot of older kids. And, uh, and she remember working on it and, she was sh and Melanie taught her about shading. And so she went back and she worked on the shades and she held up her drawing to her mother. She goes, I think this is some of my best work. <laughs> and, and she won first place, bless God. And uh, of course, me threatening the judges didn't a little bit, but no, I, I did. But, <laughs> buddy. Now, but my friend, shades are important. We don't like the darkness in our life, but my friend, those dark times help us appreciate the colors when they pop. Starry, starry night by Vincent Van Gogh. We see a night sky, but what do you, what do you fixate it on? You're fixated on the stars and the, and the, and all the other bright colors in there. Now. When we look at these things and goes on, he says, verse number nine, what profit hath he that worketh in that wherein he laboreth? And in verses nine through 14, the preacher adjusts his sights that he's no longer looking at life only under the sun. He, he brought God into the picture. And again, this gives him a new perspective. Verse nine, he repeated the opening question of chapter one, verse number three, what profit hath he that worketh in, wherein he laboreth. Again, go back to chapter 1 and verse number 3. What profit hath a man of all his labor where he taketh unto son? So in chapter number 2, as he's reviewing his thesis that he's laid out in the first two chapters, Solomon, in light of new evidence, okay, chapter 1, there's no God. Chapter 3, okay, there's God. Let's incorporate God into this now. What, do, what, what evidence do we have? How does this help us here? And what we learn in verse number 10, I have seen the travail which God hath given to the sons of men to be exercised in. Man's life is a gift from God. In view of the, tra the uh, travail that we experience from day to day, life may seem like a strange gift, but it is God's gift in just the same way. We exercise ourselves in trying to explain life's enigmas, but we don't always succeed. Well, why'd this happen? And a preacher may come to your house and you're in the midst of a sorrow. Why, preacher? 
And a preacher may try to give you an answer, but at the end of the day, he's like, yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. God's in control of these things, and we have to trust him now. And I, I have no real answers for you, except to be a comfort to you. If we believing accept life as a gift and we thank God for it, we'll, be, we'll have a better attitude towards the burdens that come our way. And burdens are going to come our way. If we look at life and we're angry and we grudgingly accept everything as a burden, then we miss the gifts that come our way. Outlook helps determine the outcome. A second thing we learn here in verse number 11, He hath made everything beautiful in His time. Also He has set the world in their hearts so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. Man's created in the image of God and was given dominion over creation. Therefore, he's different from the rest of the creation because man has an eternity. And, and his heart, man is, is linked to heaven. Man is linked to eternity. Animals are not linked to eternity. We often want our dogs and cats and other animals to go to heaven. And, we, and again, it's up for speculation whether they do or not. I, I, I hope they're there. At least the dogs, anyway. I ain't going to say nothing. You cat people are out here, so I ain't going to say nothing. But man is linked to eternity. Man has this strange bond with God and eternity. And this, as we look at this, this is why Solomon here is saying that he can be satisfied with his or her endeavors. We can't explain all of life's enigmas, but a God accomplishes his purpose in our life. Why'd that happen? I don't know. You're just going to accept the fact that God, or this thing that God's in control and God allowed it to happen? That's, that's all I have. <laughs> You're an atheist. What do you, what's, your, what's your answer? I have to believe that my steps, according to the Bible, are what? They're ordered by the Lord. And He delights in His way. The third thing we can see is that life can be enjoyable now. In verses 12 through 14, He lays this out. Now, He hinted at this in chapter 2 and verse number 24. What was it careful to say that this enjoyment of life is a gift of God? And the enjoyment of life is an important theme in Ecclesiastes, as we mentioned. And we ought to enjoy life. It's hard to enjoy it when we're down and things are bad. But do know that it will, the sun will shine again. The sun always shines again. In everybody's life, the sun does shine again. And people move on with life. Awfully hard to see that when you're in a very dark place, but when we have God, we know that God will get me through this. I don't know how, I don't know when. I wish it would be soon. I wish there's a pill that could make it all go better, but it's not. We had a girl in church here years ago. You might remember her. I won't mention her name, but she, uh, she, her boyfriend broke up with her. She was devastated, and she called me on the phone, Pastor, please make it stop hurting. I'm like, oh, I wish I could. I wish I could. I had a friend die. He was 
30-something years old, left behind a five-month-year-old son and a wife. And his wife called me one Wednesday night. I was getting ready to come to church, and she's called me. And I said, how are you doing? She said, I'm not doing good at all. Can you tell me stories about my husband? She wanted to hear, because I knew him since he was a boy. Can you tell me stories to, about my husband? Because she was severely depressed. And she lost her young husband and now had the responsibility of raising her son all by herself. Her son now is, I guess, well over 10 years ago, 10, 11 years ago, he passed away. She's moving on in life and dating and, and, uh, and enjoying life with her son and two dogs. But she wanted that night, she, please, man, I'm like, well, I got to start church. Lord, I, 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 Matt, you just tell her some stories that you know and help her for the next five minutes until you'll call her back tomorrow. We did that. There's no answers for those things at those times, but we have to learn that you know, God is in control and, and, and these things will, that life will be enjoyable again. And she is having a wonderful time in life. She's happy. She loves her son. She misses her husband, but she's moved on in life. And, and as I said, she's dating and seeing people and, and enjoying life. It's hard to imagine that, but it, it does happen. So life can be enjoyable. Life can be fun. He says in verse 12, I know that there is no good in them, but for the man to rejoice and to do good in his life. And also that every man should eat, drink, and enjoy the good of all his labor. This is the gift of God. Now again, we talked about this last week, and I didn't finish it last week because I knew we were coming here. But I wanted to give you the, the fatalist look last week and, and, and life without God. This is all you got. But, you know, we're going to celebrate Thanksgiving. I like Thanksgiving. Not just because of the food, but family and everybody getting together. I, I do like the food. That's enjoyable to me. Amen? I enjoy good food. Thank God. He, aren't you glad God made things taste good? Imagine you have to eat and God made everything taste like rotten chicken. You know? Aren't you glad he gave things flavor? We can go, wow. <laughs> you ever bite something, you go, oh, man. <laughs> if you've ever never eaten anything and had your eyes roll back in your head and go, oh, you, you've missed out on life. You really have. You ought to, who did that? Who made that? God did that. Who created your tongue and put all the different spots on it for sour and sweet and bitter and, and so that you can enjoy it all? God did that. God designed it all. It's not This tongue just doesn't wag out here. It does a, a lot of things, including you help you to enjoy the good things in life. So everything you eat and drink, he says, enjoy. It's a gift from God that you can do that. Now, of course, you do it too much, you end up at Weight Watchers. But you do want to enjoy the good things that God provides for you. God made this. I like it. This time of year, you can get the fresh apple cider. And, uh, and we bought one recently, but I, I tasted it. I said, I think this is on the turn. When you get the fresh apple cider, it doesn't last long. You've got to drink it. I said, I think this is on the turn. And I put it in the refrigerator. And one day, I opened the refrigerator last week, and I saw the container swelling. I was like, oh, no. This thing is not far from blowing up, which happened to us once in our house. We're sitting there in the living room, and heard, boom! <laughs> Walked into the kitchen when it was a gallon container of apple cider blew all over the kitchen. So uh, I carefully took it to the sink and said, What's that? She looked, and we popped it open and dumped out the apple cider. We could have, me and Renee could have had a good time that night with that stuff, but that's, we, did, we, we, <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't want to go there. <laughs> no. And so we had the world to stop my wife from taking it, but I, we dumped it out. <laughs> Everything's good in its time, but there is time for things to go bad. 
And so the, the enjoyment of life is an important theme in Ecclesiastes. And he, and he mentions it in this section. And in and, 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 and and, and this four times in these chapters, he's going to mention about enjoying the things of life. Again, life appears transitory, but whatever God does, it's forever. So when we live for Him and, and let Him have our way, life is meaningful and manageable. Instead of complaining about what we don't have, let's enjoy what we do have and thank God for it. Now you go on Facebook at Thanksgiving Day and everybody says, Oh, look at their dining room set. Oh, how fancy that is. And there you are using the best paper plates that, 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 that Costco's had. Just be thankful for that. And somebody may have this fancy meal. Look, they're having lobster tails for Thanksgiving and, and you, all you got is a turkey. I like turkey, by the way. I'd rather have that on a lobster tail. But whatever you get, you thank God for it. God gave us this. This is from God. There was a British preacher named William Sangster, and he learned that he had progressive muscular atrophy, and he wasn't going to get well. And he made four resolutions, that he, and he kept them to the end of his life. His first one, I will never complain. The second one, I will keep the home bright. And he wasn't talking about light bulbs. I'm going to make my home a happy place. You have a choice, by the way, to make your home a happy place or a miserable place. The third thing he said is, I will count my blessings. The fourth thing he said, I will try to turn it to a gain. This may seem like a loss, but I'm going to try to turn this into a gain. Those four things he did in his life. And, and this is approach to, to life that Solomon wants us to take. Now, Solomon is not saying, don't worry, be happy. But he's promoting faith in God, not faith in faith or a pie-in-the-sky attitude. The world has a pie-in-the-sky attitude. We have an attitude that God is involved in this. And, and faith is only good as the, the object of faith. And the greatest object of faith is who? God. My faith is in God. He can be trusted. And, and life without God can be meaningless. And we're going to stop it there for today because there's so much more to say in, 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 as we close out this chapter. But again, the proper attitude for us is to fear the Lord in verse number 14. I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. And God doeth it, and men should fear before him. Now, what kind of fear? Well, listen, it's a fear of respect, but it's also fear. This is God. The Bible says our God is what? A consuming fire. That's a scary thought, is it not? <laughs> I don't want to be consumed by God. I want to be loved by God. And so my attitude in life, no matter what's going on, I, I, I respect God. He loves me. Now let me walk with Him and fear Him. Because again, at the end of the day, God is in control of all things. God has His perfect will and way. Let's stand together for prayer. Now, Father, we do thank You for Your goodness and mercy. We thank You that we're able to be here. Now, bless this word. As Solomon has explained it, and uh, Lord, he's 
the king is going through an ordeal in his life and you're directing him through this that we may learn from it and how to view our lives and all that we go through. Bless this time and this hour now, we ask in Jesus' name.